Welcome to the 113th episode of the Young Turfs Podcast from the Viner Forgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode of the Young Turfs Podcast, former Maryland lacrosse goalie Kyle Burnlor will be joining us to talk about the PLL Whip Snakes and his time at Maryland. And before we get to that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you are looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today, contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Oh, it's a short one today. Uh, Maryland commit Logan McNanny was named MVP of the Under Armour All-American game. He set the record for the most saves in a half in the history of the game with 16 in the first. That's quite impressive for an All-Star game, Mason. Yes, it is, and you can catch Logan's interview with Wayne and Bruce up on TerpTalk.com right now. Maryland also had a team-high six commits in the Women's All-American game. All of those interviews will be up on the Wayne Trip YouTube page in the next couple weeks. You can catch a couple of them up there today. Maryland Women's Tennis has hired their former interim head coach, Katie Dougherty, to become their head coach. She joined the Terps staff in the 2016-17 season, and she also led the Iowa Hawkeyes to their highest ranking in program history while she was the head coach there. An interesting move, given the way that um, this program has been going. Yes, women's tennis was famously 3-18 and last season and lost, I think, their last 15 games in a row or something like that. But if this is who they believe is the best person to lead the program, I guess we're going to have to see how it goes. Yeah, I don't really know, honestly, much about the women's tennis program, so we'll leave it at that. Caesars Palace released their win-loss total for Maryland football this year, placing them at 3.5 for your over-under pick. Jordan, I'm taking the over. Oh, no-brainer. I mean, Maryland, I'm not, I'll be the first in Maryland. Maryland's not in a great place for the next football season. But they're not in a three-game bad place. We, I think we can pull together three three or four wins here. I'll say four, I'll say five wins. But you're, five. what you're saying is if, you realize that if you pick three wins, you're picking the under, right? Yeah, and I made a mistake there, but I'm going to say five wins is my guess. Okay, I saw a poll up on the new Terrapin Times website, and if you're wondering what happened to the former Maryland scout site, Dave LaMonaco and Keith Cavanaugh, and the guys that have been guests on this show, you can now find their site at terrapintimes.com. No more scout backslash Maryland. It is now terrapintimes.com on the F5 Sports Network. They put up a poll on their site uh, to kick it off, and I believe it was like somewhere around 30% of the people that voted picked seven wins for this year. Yeah, but we're being overly optimistic. You're Every fan of their team is overly optimistic. I'd say five to six is a realistic expectation, but whatever the case, it's not going to be three. Yeah, let's, uh, I mean, like, I don't put that much stock in this. It is a, you know, they're trying to get people to bet on this. And I think this is a great number if you're really trying to get people to bet on Maryland football. I think three and a half wins is a place where you will get a lot of people to, you know, take a look at it. Absolutely think so. Uh, Just for reference sake, the only school in the Big Ten lower than us is, of course... Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, moving on to basketball, we have some number changes. Ricky Lindo will switch up his number for his sophomore campaign from 14 to 4. And a walk-on from last year who I 
believe only appeared one time, Will Clark will change his number from 15 to 14. Yeah, I, I liked Ricky Leno at 14. It's going to be weird to see him at 4. I don't know, it just seemed to fit him well. But, you know, it's his choice. I got over Darren Marceau pretty fast last year. Yeah, I, I almost completely forgot that uh, Morcel changed his number. And our last little piece of sports news for this rundown, Robert Carter and Bruno Fernando will be joining the NBA Summer League when it kicks off, I think, on Friday this week. Fernando will, of course, be with the Hawks, while Robert Carter will join the Clippers. In the past, he has been with the Nuggets and I think one other team. Uh, it's the Warriors. Yeah, you're right. It's the Warriors. Yeah, there's one guy that I think is missing from this list, Jordan. I don't know if... Um, he is suiting up for the summer league, is Des Wells. I did not see him when I was researching this. I know he was with the Oklahoma City Blue uh, pretty recently, the Thunder's G League team. So he might have gone overseas, maybe done with basketball, or I might have just missed him. But whatever the case, Bruno, I'm going to excited to see. The Hawks should be one of the more entertaining summer league teams this year. And no Justin Jackson, that's another thing to point out. Justin Jackson um, tore something in his leg. Uh, to end the season last year, and it's unclear if he's pursuing a basketball career going forward. That's unfortunate. And we have one more thing to get to on our rundown, which is the Maryland accreditation. At this point, I'm going to call it a crisis. Yes. Um, for those who aren't aware, um, the board that that decides if colleges are worth you know, funding looked at Maryland after the Jordan McNair situation, and... Um, decided that due to the lack of clarity in the command chain, essentially, it is, they're up for review if their degrees are worth anything. So if you're going to Maryland right now, this is like the worst thing that could happen to you. And I just gotta say, this is ridiculous. On so many levels, this is absolutely unbearable and ridiculous. We're talking about a university that is considered one of the top 25 public in the nation. It's impossible to get in from if you live in especially Montgomery County and Howard County in this state. They take a bunch of out-of-state kids. They're not here for the kids of the state of Maryland. And here we are again. At this point, it is low must-go. This is terrible. Awful. You've got a guy running this university who seems like he's impossible to fire. How How is he not gone at this point? I know he announced his retirement, but this is ridiculous and it's an embarrassment to this head institution of this state and the entire University System of Maryland. I don't disagree. Um, just some clarification for what I said earlier. The These are based on regions. So the one that's reviewing Maryland is called the Middle States Commission on Higher Education. And they have, quote, identified concerns regarding the institution's compliance with the standard, sorry, standard 7 governor leadership and administration, and more specifically, the transparency of the government structure, putting this in warning status. The university has to submit a report by March 1st, and then the commission will come back and if they fail this, this is why it's really bad, they will lose all access to federal financial aid, which, if you're not aware, is a near death blow to a university and also can invalidate some degrees. And here's one for those people, especially on the UMCP Board of Trustees, that don't think athletics is a big deal. Look at what it's done to your university. Look at what it's going to do to your academics. And look at what it's going to do to your position on that board and to your just overall standing in this nation because that's ridiculous. To all those people that say athletics doesn't matter, here's your example. Well, Mason definitely said the final word on that. So let's get to Kyle Burnmore. Now we welcome into the Young Terps podcast a first-time guest, former Maryland lacrosse goalie Kyle Burnmore. Kyle, how are you doing tonight? 
Let's start off where it all began for your lacrosse career. Can you tell us the story about how a kid from Ohio became a goalie at Maryland? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I started playing in uh, in Akron, Ohio, which is you know, certainly not a hotbed of lacrosse. Um, and uh, my older brother kind of got playing before me through a friend, and uh, you know, ultimately he uh, he was a field player, and you know they needed a goalie to, to shoot on in the backyard, so. Um, I hopped in there and uh, started in third grade, and I've been a goalie ever since. So, third grade, growing up playing in uh, kind of the Akron, Cleveland, Ohio area, and then uh, you know went out to uh, a private school that had really good lacrosse here, and you know near Cleveland, Ohio, and then from from there, Western Reserve Academy to uh, University of Maryland. Yeah, uh, can you tell us a story a little bit about how Coach Tillman found you? Obviously, there are teams out there in the Midwest that get a lot of games against teams out here on the East Coast where lacrosse is more popular, but can you tell us, you know, that first impression that Coach Tillman in Maryland made on you? For sure, yeah. No, it was funny. My first um, first time kind of interacting with Coach Tillman, um, he was actually the coach at, at um, Harvard at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I was getting recruited by Harvard as well. Um, and I remember getting you know, recruiting letters from Coach Tillman on the, on the Harvard recruiting packet and the Harvard recruiting letters. Um, and then kind of a week later, uh, after he took the job, um, I started getting recruited by him as well. But um, a little bit prior to getting recruited by Coach Tillman, I was uh, recruited by Coach Cottle um, to Maryland. And so um, as soon as Coach Tills took over that job, uh, I reached out to him right away, and I was excited to uh, to hear you know what he had in store. And um, obviously he kind of recruited me from Harvard um, and also you know from Maryland. So... Uh, ultimately kind of committed to Coach Cottle and kind of committed to Coach Tillman kind of at the same time because that transition from coach to coach um, happened right when I was trying to make my decision to, to decide where I want to go to college. So kind of a funny story just kind of knowing him from, from two different universities, but uh, I'm glad we kind of met our same, same ways, um, you know, getting to University of Maryland. So Kyle, when you got to Maryland, you didn't start right away. You had to wait two years behind Nico Amato. What was it like for you yeah. to wait and learn from one of the better goalies in Maryland history? Yeah, no, he was a good goalie. Um, you know, I was kind of that's kind of what happens when you're at a at a top program. You know, there's going to be a goalie before you, and he was an older goalie, uh, a couple of years ahead of me. Um, so for me, you know, there was no reason to waste a year of eligibility um, on the bench. I, I wanted a redshirt. That's what I knew I wanted to do right away. If he was going to start a goalie, I wanted to get that redshirt um, and have have a fifth year. Uh, to you know, another year to be a starter. So, um, you know, there's a mutual interest between the coaching staff and myself. To, yeah, let's redshirt right away. Let's hang on to that extra year. Um, you know, and ultimately it was it was the best decision I've ever made um, in my lacrosse career to, to have that fifth year. So, um, you know, Nico had you know, different styles, different personalities. But ultimately, I think waiting behind him was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Yeah, and then you, we get into your playing days around that 2015 season. That year, you and your defense led, led up just under seven goals a game. How did you get right into the net and get rolling straight away? You know, seven under seven goals a game is just such a great season. Yeah, we looked back at that, at that season. I think that, that stat line still stands up there um, as, as one of the best goals against average, uh, you know, d- defensive award that, that's ever happened. Um, I think it was like 
6.8 or 6.9 goals against average. I think average. it's 6.95. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, a pretty ridiculous stat, but, you know, it's it's pretty easy to understand how that's possible when you kind of look at the, the starting defenseman from that year. You know, Casey Aketa, um, who's the year above me, who actually also redshirted. Um, he was the first-team All-American, um, one of the best players and teammates and captains I've ever played with. Uh, Matt Dunn, he became also an All-American and now is, you know, his his professional career speaks for itself. Um, and then you had guys like Timmy Muller, um, again, a first-team All-American. Uh, every every guy ended up being an All-American player, So and not to mention professional player. So playing with those guys every day that, you know, are the best in the world at what they do, um, you know, just the way we communicated on the field and understood what shots I wanted to see. I'm kind of what shots I, I did like, what I did like. You know, when you do that every day together, usually your goals against average is going to be pretty low. So Yeah, let's fast forward a little bit in that season to that iconic save you made against the Johns Hopkins Blue Jays in the Final Four. Can you take us through that play? Obviously in that game, Hopkins made a big run against you guys, but by the butt end of a stick at the end of the game, you held strong. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a crazy season, a crazy game. Yeah, Final Four against Hopkins is kind of what you dream of. Uh, I remember I didn't really have a great game at all against them. Um, just didn't get many saves. It was a really bad game uh, for myself, but I just remember the, the shots I was getting were just really solid shot placement shots from you know, guys like Crowley and Brown and, and Tinney. And, um, you know, I remember Tinney earlier, it might have been still in the fourth quarter of that game where he, you know, he does a very good kind of Canadian influence shot where he kind of stares low, keeps his stick high. Um, and I remember earlier in the game, he, he did that shot and I, I did my same move and I tried to get it with my butt on after guessing low and I missed it. And then sure enough, you know, the last couple seconds of the game, he went for the exact same move and I bid on it again, but this time uh, I was lucky enough to kind of just track the ball with my bottom hand and punch it up with my butt end. And he was a little bit further from the net than the first shot, so I had an extra split second to kind of react to it. So, um, certainly not the, the right decision to kind of swipe underneath and get lucky with the butt end, but make the save nonetheless. Yeah, that's what it's about when you're in there in those kinds of situations, especially on such a big stage. Go on to the next year, another game that really, really sticks out in my head is that game in the snow against Michigan where they didn't change, yeah. they have the option, you know, to change the color of the ball. Right. And they didn't do it in that game. Was that one of your more challenging games as a turf? Yeah. Yeah, that was a challenging game for everybody, I think. Uh, you know, being a Midwest guy, I remember telling all the, all the Maryland guys on our team and all the you know, guys who aren't used to the Midwest call, I say, hey, it's going really cold there. It's this, the snow and this, this wind in that Michigan area is, is serious. And I remember getting up there and warming up and everyone was pretty, pretty damn cold and uh, you know, trying to focus on the game. But, uh, you know, that blizzard that started happening um, was was crazy. And I just remember my stick, the nest was kind of freezing up a little bit. You know, obviously, personally, I don't move more, you know, and a, a midfielder attack and a defender in there, so my hands were getting cold, and I just tried to keep one throughout the game, and uh, um, I, you know, I remember my gloves kind of slipping around on my shaft, and uh, you know, I was just getting all that stuff, so the weather was uh, quite an uphill battle for, for 60 minutes of that game. Well, Kyle, 
I'm not a huge lacrosse fan, I'll admit, but one the play I remember you making the most was that amazing save against North Carolina in the championship game in 2016. What do you remember about that play? Yeah, yeah just uh, kind of fell for a fake and uh, you know, kind of just jump around and uh, ultimately uh, I kind of fell for the first take, he threw a second pick and your body's going one way and your stick goes the other and you just hope you get a stick on it and luckily it did, so, you know, just, just, stay not always pretty, but you just kind of got to get your body ahead and luckily I did there. Yeah, it seems like when I watch you play compared to a lot of other goalies, you kind of have a really different style, especially when the ball gets in close. You really like to get out and kind of attack the guy that's walking the crease. Where'd you get that from? Because that, you know, I, that was my move when I actually, when I was in the goal, and a lot of coaches really hate that, but it seems like you've gotten to uh, really make that kind of your signature move. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think being a smaller goal, you got to kind of mess with the shooter's head a little bit, especially in tight. So I'll kind of creep around. You know, I'm not a very stationary goalie, and uh, you know, I, don't, I don't like that rigid style. I like to be quick on my feet and, and kind of jumping around. And I think um, when I can kind of fake shooters and it go to certain spots, and like if I move, you know, a step right before they take it, they might get freaked out and shoot it back to where I want them to shoot it. So I think when I kind of creep out and attack the ball a little bit, um, and, and jump around, you know, although it might seem like a crazy style for coaches to be teaching other kids, I think for me and my experience with it and what I've been able to accomplish with it, um, it's just kind of my, my style, like you said, kind of a signature style I have. And, um, I know when I talk to all the guys about kind of how I jump around in there, they, they don't really like it because most boys out there are very stationary, all for the first take and then get scored on. So I try to just... I try to ask the offensive guys what you still don't like, and when they say they don't like something, that's what I'm going to keep on doing. Oh, Kyle, the season after you left, you saw Danny Morris and the Terps win the title. What did that mean to you? It was awesome. It was, uh, you know, it was one of the best days of my life, personally. I think if you know anything about Maryland and you know, the Terp culture under Coach Tillman, um, it's not really about anyone else but your, you know, but the collective, you know, Terp family. So. Um, I remember after they beat Denver, um, a bunch of us flew up there to Gillette to, to watch the game. So we were all in the front row. And, uh, that was, you know, obviously one of the best days of my life seeing my best friends bring home the title. So um, it, was, it was an incredible feeling. Yeah, let's move on to the, you know, the future of lacrosse right now with the PLL. Let's start off with the style of the league. Uh, I got to. Yeah. See you out there in Baltimore when you guys took on the Atlas. Now, this week you'll be coming back around this area to D.C. Do you like the tour-based model, and what do you think it brings to lacrosse, being a guy from Ohio? Yeah, I love it. I think it's the best idea, um, you know, they could have had. Because I think, you know, in the previous, uh, you know, in the MLL, um, I think in the beginning of the season we saw uh, decent crowds in the same, you know, in one in location number A, say in Columbus, and then over the course of the year, it kind of dwindled from uh, from game one to game 12 or whatever it was. So this style, you know, the cities only have one chance to really live it. So I think it draws a lot of people saying, hey, this is our one shot to see three games of the best people or best talent in the world. Let's not miss it. Let's not wait to, to next year to do it. Um, so I think just the, the overall Final Four-esque feel that they're going for is, 
growing a huge market. Um, and it, it's a it's a tested market. It's a proven market that works. And uh, you know, so far the crowds have been phenomenal. They've been they've been bigger than what we've been used to in the previous professional league. And um, right now it's working. And I think the buzz that it's generating, um, you know, will continue to you know grow these markets and. You know, getting back to the Maryland area and you see after we just played at Hopkins, I think you'll see an even bigger crowd just because it's in the same area and that market group might want to see it again. So, um, you know, just, just going all over the country, getting that first impression, uh, you know, I think nobody wants to wait a whole other year to see that, but, you know, it generates buzz to, to want to want that to happen. So, um, so far it's been, it's been five incredible venues. Uh, just playing in host cities and getting treated so well has been amazing treat yeah what i see a lot of the guys a lot of the players you know you see it from paul rabel obviously rambo you know the big names around this league really promoting the league is that something that the pll asked you guys to do or is that just something that you guys are really taking responsibility making this the future of lacrosse yeah no they haven't they haven't asked us to do anything in terms of promoting uh or really marketing you know it's it's authentic so you know, anything you see on social media, the guys posting or, or you know, talking from the heart about this new league, um, you know, we're not getting a bonus or, or a check to post anything. You know, it's, it's sincere, it's genuine. Everything that we felt was getting mistreated by the previous professional league is being handled by, you know, Paul Rabel and Mike Rabel. So this league was designed by players' input and kind of everything that was occurring before that was wrong that we felt we could fix is what they're doing. So um, any any short doings in the previous professional cross world are being kind of unhinged and rewired by the POL. So it's been amazing, and I think guys want to express how great it's been for us because um, these first five weeks have been more than we could have ever expected from a marketing standpoint, fan standpoint, a social media standpoint. Everything that they've been doing has, has been so So the last week of the season I see is going back to around your area in Columbus. Does that mean anything special mm-hmm. to you that you're going to play back at your home area? Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be awesome. So Capri uh, Stadium is uh, in the home of Columbus Crew um, professional soccer. Uh, it's about hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes from where I grew up. Uh, but obviously, um, Columbus is very um, much familiar with. Uh, you know, professional lacrosse before, um, and I, you know, I, I love Columbus. I've been there all my life, so um, I'm excited to just have a game in my home state. Just seeing that the POL and 160 of the best players are coming to Ohio uh, is going to be an amazing experience. So um, it'll be a playoff game by then, and, and hopefully we're we're playing for a really meaningful uh, playoff win and ultimately going to a championship. Yeah, let's talk about the Whip Snakes here for a few minutes. Yep. Obviously, a ton of Maryland guys. You know, it was great to see them all back in playing in the area the other week at Baltimore. Coming back this week to DC to play the same matchup against the Atlas. Uh, how are you guys feeling? Because this league is starting to see a lot of week to week changes. Yeah, yeah. You can obviously see that it's uh, kind of a cutthroat um, league. With you know, if a guy doesn't perform, there's so many good guys on each roster. So Ted Darby might not get the nod to us next week. So. The guys are competing so much harder than they ever have just because they know roster spots are on the line every five days. Um, so, you know, we play Atlas again. I'm sure there'll be a couple guys.
guys that are in and out of the lineup from uh, from the previous matchup. So, yeah, the core group of the Atlas will probably do the same, but um, I think you can bank on at least one guy, maybe even two, maybe even three guys that have been subbed out for a different, um, you know, guy for the next game. So whether it be matchup-oriented, uh, an injury, lack of performance, whatever it is, um, there's going to be always a little tweak week by week. So that's kind of the that's kind of the exciting thing about the league, just because guys are going so hard to maintain their, their role and their spot on the team, uh, but also just kind of you know how how do teams match up head to head? What's the best advantage for your team going against somebody? So Kyle, playing on near all Maryland roster has got to be a lot of fun for you because you get to play with Terps that you played with in college, I'm sure, and also Terps you pro- may have not gotten the chance to play with before. Is that add right. another layer to it for you? That's obviously the big storyline that they uh, they built up with the Whipstick, just being uh, so many terps on it. Um, yeah, it was funny being my year, um, graduating in 2016, but coming into Maryland in 2012, um, the only guys on our team who I didn't play with in college is uh, Jeremy Sieverts, Brett Schmidt, and um, Jeff Reynolds. So other than those three guys, every other player on our roster um, I played with, so um, that's pretty crazy to say that you can play professional cross with all your college teammates. Um, so it's the camaraderie there on and off the field um, is is pretty incredible. I got one more for you, Kyle. Where did the name? And I hear it being thrown around a lot by Rambo. Actually, where did the name Drip Snakes come from? It's a good question. I don't know. We just started saying it in the locker room, and uh, you know, we we uh, you know, all of the all of the young guys are all hip with that culture of uh, cool names and lingo. And those guys started saying that drip snakes, and I don't know. I'm gonna keep Rambo or Drenner, I think, or maybe even Snyder. But uh, uh, we liked it. We thought it was funny, so we uh, kind of went with the drip snakes. And then about the matchup this weekend. It should be a good one. The Atlas have been getting a little uh, chippy, you might say. Yeah. I saw it a little bit in this game. Do you expect that for the fans that will be out there on uh, Saturday night at Audi Field? 100%. Yeah, I think we saw it last game against, uh, against Atlas when we played in that Homewood. Um, there was a couple little scrums, a couple little fights. Um, a, based on kind of the old Hopkins-Maryland rivalry. And B, uh, you know, the guys in their team kind of fit that mold. They're, they're big. All right, Kyle, anything you want to tell all the Maryland fans listening out there that might see you this weekend? Uh, just always a great day to be a Terp, and uh, go Terps. All right, thanks for coming on, Kyle. And you can see Kyle and the Whipsnakes this weekend, July 6th and 7th. The Whipsnakes will be playing on the 6th against the Atlas, so kind of that Maryland-Hopkins rivalry at Audi Field. Kyle, thanks for coming on the Young Terps podcast. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. And that was Kyle Burnlore from the PLL Whipstakes. Jordan, they're out here in this area at Audi Field this weekend. Make sure to get out and support all the Terps on the Whipsnakes. Yeah, kind of disappointed I'm not going to get to see them this season. But I'm excited for what they're doing. And I think they're, they are correct. This is the future of the cross. The tour base system, I think, is a good idea. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. 
Yes, so am I. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Young Turps Podcast. On our next episode, we will have a Maryland Football 2020 recruit to talk all about the future of Maryland football and what Coach Loxley is doing this year to recruit guys to come to Maryland. Yep, we're real excited for it. Hope you guys listen, and we'll see you later in the week. Happy July 4th. Everyone go out and celebrate this great country. Don't JPP your hands with some fireworks, and we'll be back here next week on the Young Turfs Podcast. And as always, we would like to thank our sponsors, Viner Fourgates and Rockville, for all of your business IT needs this summer. Viner Fourgates is the place to go. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one, viner.com and Allied Party Rentals. For all of your party rental needs, big or small, you can visit Allied on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. We'll catch you next week on the Young Turfs Podcast, and as always, thanks for listening.